0: Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason Garner and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law. Today, we're going to talk about what exactly
1: is woke. Oftentimes, we talk about certain vocabulary that we we hear every day, but we don't necessarily understand, like what is probate and uh, But that gets tiresome talking about just estate planning all the time. So we're going to talk about what is woke. Because we hear that constantly. And we're in an election year. And it seems to be a race with what is, who is going to toe the the woke agenda and and, and follow that agenda. And who is going to fight against it. And so the Republican parties, candidates are fighting against it. And um, the Democrats parties, they're going to be fighting for it. So we want to understand, what is it? And I've got um, a little clip here. It's got Bill Mayer, it's got Dave Rubin, and Joe Rogan. And these are three three heavy hitters. Um, Obviously, Bill Mayer has been on HBO for a long time. He's he's very intelligent with his interviews. He's a comedian, but he brings out a lot of truth in his comedy. And he, he nails it as far as, I think what the political issues are. I'm not always on the same position as he is politically, but I think he nails what the issue actually is. And he's on the Joe Rogan show during this interview, and then um, Dave Rubin will jump in at the end. So let me play this little clip. And it explains in about one minute what woke is and and the difference between woke and what traditional um, liberalism was.
2: I think they look at you like a guy who they're worried about because you don't toe the line. They should be. You You're like a 90s liberal. You're like liberals back when they were more reasonable before they became leftists. And now every liberal kind of has to be a leftist. It's not not, If you want to be on the team, you got to subscribe to the most fringe ideas
3: that the team is promoting. I have always believed, as liberals do, for example, in a colorblind society, that the goal is to not see race at all anywhere for any reason. That's not what the woke believe. They believe race is first and foremost the thing you should always see everywhere, which I find interesting because that used to be the position of the Ku Klux Klan.
0: If you, Bill Maher, and you, Joe Rogan, if you want to live in that colorblind society, you cannot vote For Democrats, you cannot.
1: That was it. Basically, if you see everything as part of an agenda where the white patriarchy has governed every decision that has led up to where you are in your position in life now and will continue to oppress you every step of the way unless you fight against it, that is essentially woke. Uh, You have to awake to that. You have to acknowledge, if you're a minority, that you're a victim and that you are entitled to reparations of some sort or another. And if you are not a minority, for example, the the classic is if you're a white, Christian, straight male, you are the oppressor. And if you don't acknowledge that oppression that you are omitting upon others— then um, you are part of the problem. You are a white supremacist without even attempting to be so. You are racist. Without recognizing your racial tendencies, you are continuing to perpetuate them. That's the woke agenda. That's false. That's not what I believe. Um, I think that the victim mentality is is really, really harmful, and that is what uh, creates the great divide between people that want to get stuff done and people who want to sit on their couch and feel entitled to handouts. I also think that's why Jews in general are not accepted among the minority of protected classes anymore. And this is just a recent development. This is in the last six months since October 7th, essentially, the last three months. Because, obviously, anti-Semitism wasn't tolerated for years and years and years since the Holocaust and, and World War II. And then we had, what's his name, that came out and and said something anti-Semitic. He said it on his Twitter feed. He said, I I, I can say anti-Semitic things. I'm going to go DEFCON 3 on the Jews. Kanye West. Kanye West. So he says this. He's worth $2 billion at the time. He loses more than a billion dollars just by that statement. He loses Adidas endorsement. He loses endorsements left and right. And I I didn't actually object to those endorsements being pulled. I thought, well, he can say what he wants to say, but he also has to face the consequences. If people don't want to support him, if they don't want to endorse him because of that, then so be it. However, when October 7th occurred, you know, and Hamas invaded Israel and and raped and pillaged, it seemed to turn the tide of what was okay and tolerable for anti-Semitism. And we we saw that across college campuses, all across the nation, especially in the Ivy League, college campuses. And I don't understand how that happened, but more to the point here, here here's a bigger point that I'm trying to get at. If you're a minority that's successful, that will not accept that victim mentality and not fit within that category and, and allow yourself to be suppressed, then you're no longer going to um, fit within the DEI agenda, the diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda. You're outside of that agenda now because you've made You've made it on your own, and and Jews are very successful in general as far as a population. They they contribute to about point two percent of the global population, but the contributions that they've made to society are significant. And so you're talking about technological contributions, uh, agricultural contributions. Um, sociological contributions how how they 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 run the society and and how they treat others especially because they have a very distinct and and um unique religion and it it is the undergirding for what our country stands for that we believe in god that when we keep the commandments, we will be supported by God, and that regardless of the strength and the number of our enemies, we cannot be conquered as long as we align with God. That is the Judeo-Christian mentality. That's the Judeo-Christian work ethic, to work hard and that you will be compensated, benefited from the fruits of your labor. So that's contrary to the woke agenda, And, and, and Bill Mayer, I... I love listening to him because he is a spokesman, essentially, for those who align with the Democratic Party. And he, he is, is a comedian, but he's extremely brilliant. And, and comedy has always had a way of, of showing truth in a way that it, it, it presents it lighter so we can accept it without being offended. And, but it is 90% of what's said in comedy is truth, if not more. But um, it's said in in a lighter way where you can say hard topics and hard issues without having a fight, and um, he represents the Democratic Party with regard to that type of comedy. But he will he r- refuses to accept the woke agenda. Now you got Joe Rogan on the other side that I think he would be your stereotypical um, Democrat of the '90s, right? Yeah. Um, he doesn't. I I don't know where he stands with abortion, but the the major divisions with the Democrats and the Republicans in the 90s was abortion. And I think Republicans were a little bit more for um, a strong government. Um, They wanted to have stronger police force. They wanted to have uh, less protections with regard to um, search and seizure and free speech. Whereas the Democrats were all about free speech and, and, Fourth Amendment protections against searches and seizures. And now it's kind of flipped. And so Joe Rogan is kind of one of those guys, like, government, stay out of my face. Let me do my thing and um, just protect my, my essential rights. And, uh, so, and, and Dave Rubin, I would say, would be the same type of person. But all of those three have now united together with whoa, the government has really overstepped its bounds with censorship and pushing this agenda of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when you say those words, they sound nice. Diversity has a a nice little ring to it. Equity, of course. We want equity, right? We don't want inequity. And we want inclusion. But what does that mean? It means that you constrict the pool of candidates of who is available for a typical position – whether it be for an administrative position in a government um, organization, the presidency, or whether it be for jobs, or whether it be a student for a position at a school, or whether it be for a profession, to individuals that check the boxes. They must be diverse. They must have been oppressed in some way. And so the, the equity... Means that we're going to offset the oppression that they've experienced, or their ancestors have experienced, sometime throughout you know this the timeline of our country, and the inclusion is the, we 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 have to find somebody else out there to include that we don't already have in our establishment. So even if they don't necessarily meet the qualifications, if if we don't have that type of person, let's look and narrow down our candidates to that type of person that we don't already have working for us. And so that's why there's so many um, unqualified individuals in, in the Biden administration. I think Biden of himself would be a bad president, but it's a terrible presidency because he surrounds himself with incompetent people because he narrows the pool of candidacy candidacy to, to the the people
0: that have to check the boxes look at his vp choice remember when he ran and they didn't announce it he said well whoever i'll be it'll be a person of color yeah i believe he, I, he may have said a woman of color he said a woman of okay. color but my point being is it wasn't qualifications it wasn't pedigree or any experience it was yeah
1: a woman of color yeah
0: and um the, the exact same thing for the
1: supreme court nominee yeah it had to be a woman of color and When you do that, I have no doubt that there are plenty. In fact, I went to law school with a lot of women who were black, who were brilliant, and who are excellent advocates. But when you narrow the pool down to specifically that, then you're rigging the system. And it is racism. It is sexism. And... uh, You're not following what our country has been established on, and that is meritocracy. The person that deserves a position gets the position. And that point couldn't be clearer than um, what was done with this. Uh, There was a little on-campus survey that was done that talked to students about what they thought about diversity, equity, inclusion, when it came to including students into um, the student body and in the workforce. I've got a clip that talks about this interview on this college campus that really explains how DEI does not actually work when you run through the full gamut of, of, of
0: how it would be applied, and we'll come back to that after this break. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this.
3: Hey you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in that's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved ones future you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason Garner and Hansen I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free no pressure seminar and learn all of your options the firm of Deason Garner and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years and this is the only area of law that they practice Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit YumaEstatePlanning.com.
0: You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death,
1: and the Law. We're talking about right now DEI. What is DEI? You hear that all the time. It stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. It means that if individuals are not diverse, if the outcome is not equitable, and if we're not including anybody from all types of sexual orientation to um, gender and to nationality and religion, then we are not being inclusive. We are, we are essentially being racist. And I think that's a bunch of BS. Um, I think that it really manifests itself in this college campus interview that I'm going to play for you right now.
4: Hi, I'm Ophelia Jacobson with Campus Reform. It's game day here at the University of Florida, and we're talking with college students about diversity quotas today. Do students support these quotas in the workplace and in the college admissions process? And will these students change their mind if we apply those same diversity quotas to the Florida Gators football team? Let's find out. Talking first about diversity just in general, do you think diversity should be a factor in hiring decisions and in college admissions processes? Yeah,
1: absolutely.
5: Um, Probably they should probably have diversity quotas for like college admissions and a bunch of other things. I think they already have quotas though, but like those are definitely a good thing. Absolutely.
4: I mean, I think it's an absolute necessity.
5: Yeah, everyone should have an equal part in- anywhere really. As a first generation
4: college student uh, from a Hispanic household, it's very important. Should we develop diversity quotas for you know, the workplace or for college admissions? How they usually work is if a population is 35% Hispanic, then the school in that region, I guess, would also have to be 35% Hispanic in its student population to reflect the demographics of the larger community. Is that something that you would support? Yeah, I would support that. Yeah, I totally support that.
5: Uh yeah yeah I mean that that sounds pretty that sounds pretty reasonable. Yeah I think that makes sense to me. Yeah same I think it definitely should be taken into
4: account. Absolutely there should be more diversity in basically every single field. So what about diversity quotas on sports teams, college sports teams? Do you guys think?
5: No I think that should be skill based. Yeah absolutely same thing. Same thing we want to win no matter like <laughs> what you are. Uh probably not. I feel like it should be based off talent. That's something that's a little bit different.
4: With sports it's definitely um, more, like more emphasis placed on ability. Sports is different than college. Sports is not the same. I mean talent is talent is talent is uh, talent.
5: I don't think we should. Like, college sports is about like, getting the best players for your team and I don't think we should focus on which race or ethnicity to get.
4: I think a diversity quota for any sports team, it, it doesn't make much sense. It should be based on skill. Just let the, let the skills shine and whoever's the best player deserves to be on the team. Obviously, with sports, it's talent first over anything. I did some research about the demographics here at UF. Um, we're going to put this into like a hypothetical situation. So 50% of students here are white. This is from 2019. 19% are Hispanic, 8% are Asian, and 5% are African American. If we were to apply that quota to the offensive lineup for the Florida Gators football team, this is what the lineup would look like.
5: Okay, and that's probably not what it looks like at all. So for those yeah. of you
1: that are just listening to this and, and not watching this on YouTube, um, they showed the lineup if it uh, matched the actual ratio of students that were at the University of Florida. And we got the, the front line. We got um, six white individuals, um, two Latinos, uh, two Asians, and one black individual. And then she contrasts that to the actual starting lineup, and uh, we have one white individual... And I think the rest are black. So um, they're looking at the lineup, and she says, "Do you think that we ought to switch up this lineup to make it more inclusive and 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 actually match the demographics of our community or our school?" And these guys are like, "No," because they're they're all about to attend a University of Florida football game.
5: Yeah, um, I feel like they're just they're probably just more skilled players. Because uh, I mean, I guess you could say like. More skilled people should get into schools too. Uh, I guess what I said could kind of be pod both. We'd probably be losing because we recruit like based on skill, and if we recruited based on diversity, then we'd probably be worse. I see nothing wrong with the current um, roster right now. I think, I think it's perfectly fine. If they're the best players fit for the
4: job, then they deserve the spot. I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing that these people are just better at the sports that they play. I mean, it would definitely be different. When's the last time you saw a prominent Asian in football? Does this kind of change your mind about diversity quotas in other sectors like the workplace, like college admissions? If we're talking about being the best in sports, um, shouldn't we also be talking about being the best in the workplace, being the best company, being the best college, the best university, regardless of anyone's race?
2: Yeah, I think it was a good way to open your eyes and think. Like, If you're recruiting athletes based on their skill level, maybe you should admit students based on their scores and their like academic merit more so than diversity
5: yeah a little bit because I just I didn't think about it being applied I mean I guess they are applied to schools but not sports and you could make a good argument for why uh my reason for school would be the same for sports basically yeah uh I think so I think I really didn't think about uh diversity too much and like Uh, college admissions or workplace. Yeah,
4: I I think, like, now that I think about it... It's interesting to see it compared in sports, like, versus college admissions, so... Skill always comes first. I don't necessarily think quotas are the way to go. I know they're unconstitutional. I know they're wrong. I feel like that's just counterintuitive to feel obligated to admit anybody or do anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean,
4: you want the best. It doesn't really matter what the person's race is, who they are, whatever. Like, you have skills. You're, You're a good person. That's about it.
1: What do you take on that, Adam?
2: My first impression was those people are in college. Like they are, they look like they're twelve years old, and I, I feel so old right now. <laughs> those kids look like
1: I know one, one of the and the group of the three. One of them literally looked twelve years old. I, I yeah. sw-
2: I'm like he's maybe he's a savant. Maybe he is twelve and he's going to the University of
1: Florida. He's there in a golf scholarship.
2: Another thing was um, talking about diversity. Man, those were a diverse body of people, huh? And I was like, man, they don't really look like those that I would think would be going to the university
1: of well, Florida. Yeah, you've got, and for those that are not watching it on YouTube, that are listening to it on the radio or on our podcast, um, some of these individuals, you got a couple of ladies that are in halter tops and then you've got a, a, a couple of other people that are dressed up in suit and ties and like more formal dress. So it, it was pretty diverse as far as the, the people that she interviewed.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. Uh, you know, their comments, uh, so as we were talking about it last segment, you talked about the DEI definition. I looked up what woke means, and how did I do that? Google. Google. Yeah. So I Googled it, and this is the definition of woke, according to Google, and I think they're pulling it from the Oxford Dictionary. So woke in, in my Google search says, alert to and concerned about social injustice and discrimination. So what's injustice? Injustice means, according to Google or Webster, or sorry, Oxford, an unjust act or occurrence. So going back to our definition, um, alert to and concerned about a social unjust occurrence. Mm. So what is the social unjust occurrence that's happening that needs to be fixed through wokeness? That's my my question.
1: Well, the general explanation is that this country was founded on the bedrock of racism and slavery. And unless we reverse that, then we can never have justice. It doesn't matter where we are now. It doesn't matter who your, who your parents are and in what situation you're born. If you're black, you're oppressed. If you're white, you're an oppressor. And you, there are only two categories. You're either oppressed or an oppressor. If you're a minority that's successful then you have now, you've bridged that gap, but you are not going to fit within that uh, oppressed group, and so you, you no longer get to participate in the protections and, and what needs to be as far as the additional handouts and, and um, additional privileges that the oppressed receive. Because if you don't recognize your white privilege, then you're only perpetuating it. And that doesn't matter that, let me give you a, a really good example there's two actually i'm going to give you a personal one and then i'm going to give you one that just happened in the media and and, and nationwide recently so personally, I grew up in a trailer home in northern Idaho, and my parents struggled financially um, they went through bankruptcy while I was in high school, and we lived off of um, church welfare so they they were too proud to apply for food stamps but we we were faithful members of a church that we paid tithing to on a regular basis. And the church supports you when you don't have the means to provide food on your table. And so we were going to the the church storehouse and receiving food coupons. And so I was poor. I didn't my parents, neither of them graduated college. Neither of them talked to me about even applying for college. I didn't study for the ACTs or SATs. They didn't sign me up for those courses. I took one of them because um, I was basically just pushed into it as a group, and, and I woke up the, the morning of, borrowed a pencil and a calculator, and took the test. So that was me. My good friend, he um, grew up in a similar household, but um, he does have some Hispanic blood and Native American blood. And so when we both went on our different ways, we graduated high school um, and we were applying for college. We applied for the same college. We applied for the university of Iowa. He got a scholarship to the university of Iowa. I got denied admission. And The reasoning was because they wanted to have more diverse student body. Well, what was the diversity that he was bringing? We literally grew up together, not only in the same town, not only under the same circumstances, under the same roof. We lived at each other's houses um, from the time that we were 16 on and supported ourselves, essentially. And so there was no diversity as far as our background bringing up. Um, the only diversity was the color of our skin or, or the blood, right, that ran through our veins. So that I saw that and I felt discriminated against. And so I was, I had a chip on my shoulder and I was a, a pretty outspoken um, opponent to affirmative action when I got to college because I saw that it was working against me and I felt I was discriminated against and I could actually show it statistically. The other um, example is. Um, Dean Gay from the, the Harvard University. She was selected six months ago to act as the dean of Harvard University. She's only the second female ever to be selected, and she's the first black female to be selected. And if you look at all the headlines when she was nominated, you will see in there black female, black female. Every single time they describe her, the first, the first qualifications that they they put out there is black female and to me that's not a qualification that is an indication of someone that's discriminatory that's somebody that's looking and 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 hiring on basis of gender and basis of race which is obviously not what we stand for at all she lasted all six months now she may have lasted longer but we had what happened was october 7th where hamas invaded israel and there were a lot of um calls on the Harvard campus for the genocide, basically, of Jews and the destruction of the Israeli state. And she didn't do very much to stop it. In fact, when she was called before Congress and asked if what those demonstrations were were actually a violation of Harvard code, she said, it depends what context you're saying. And she said, well, the context that they were in, there were groups of people calling for... um, Palestine to, be, Palestine to be free from the river to the sea, meaning the West Bank all the way to Gaza Strip, erase all of Israel. Do you acknowledge that, that would, that's what it means? Well, that's one of the meanings that it could have. Okay, well, that means erasing the Israeli state and displacing all the Jews. And is that in violation? The question isn't, is that in violation of free speech? It was, is it in violation of Harvard's code that students here should have a safe, learning environment and not feel bullied or not feel pressured based on their ethnicity or background. And she said, well, it also, it just really depends on your context. If it's face to face and there's imminent threat of um, serious bodily injury, then maybe. And so those comments that those were the death knell. So what happened was there was a further investigation and it turns out she'd never published anything. She didn't have any accolades. If she was compared to all the other past presidents of Harvard, it, it, w- it would be confusing as to why she was selected in the first place to serve in this position. And so it came out that she plagiarized a lot of the papers that were published that gave her any credentials whatsoever. And the first thing that she came out with was, well, I'm being targeted because I'm a black female mainly because I'm black, but also because I'm a female. And I would say the complete opposite. I think people are walking on eggshells around her because of that. I think they're saying, wait, we got to really make sure we get this right because if we get it wrong, we're going to be called racist. And that's, a, that's the absolute worst thing that can happen in your career as, as a um, reporter, right? If you get labeled as a racist, then, then your career is done. And so they came out, and these Allegations of plagiarism were true. She resigned, and on CNN they reported it, and PBS as well. And they said, "Yeah, she was targeted because she was because of her race." And it's like, "Well, well, did the plagiarism occur?" Well, yeah, it did occur, but it wouldn't have come out unless she was black. Really, I thought it came out because she was not protecting students on her campus from threats of genocide. That's why it came out, and it just happened that she was a black female. And so the, he, he, here's I, – I like the scientific approach. You want to take a control group, right? Somebody that is of a similar circumstance, but you take one variable out of the mix and see what would occur differently. And so um, the dean of Penn – I don't know. I don't think it's – it's not Penn State. It's a Pennsylvania – University of Pennsylvania – um, Cody will look that up for me. She got fired too. She had the, the same things happened on her campus. There were a lot of um, protests against Israelis and, and what was going on, and calling for a ceasefire and calling them genocidal because what was going on in Gaza. And um, she didn't get control of the situation. She didn't call it out for what it was, and she ultimately resigned. No incidences of plagiarism. No incidents of her personally not being qualified. In fact, her qualifications really put her in the position that she was in. But she handled the situation poorly, and that was she wasn't keeping her students on campus safe. And she she was put under pressure to resign, and she did resign. How many news media outlets reported on that and pointed to the fact that she resigned because she was white, or she was a woman, next to none. And, and that's where you have exactly what the woke agenda gets you. It gets you racial agendas to persecute those who you don't like and to propel to the top those who you do like without any real meritocracy. We've got
0: to take a break. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this.
3: Hey you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner Marner and Hanson has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years. And this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit Yuma Estate Planning.
0: You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We're talking about woke and
1: DEI and what's going on. And the reason we're talking about these things is because it's basically basic common sense against the woke and DEI agenda. That's what's on the election ballot today. It's do we want to have meritocracy. What is that? You hire based on merit. You get into college based on merit. You get appointed to office, well, appointed to government positions based on merit. Not based on your skin color, not based on your your orientation, not based on your religion. But it seems like that has been the main criteria for the past four years. And so that's really what the election is about. And a lot of people are getting tired of this. And people that were typically Democrat are now starting to see this is not right. This is not working for our country. We, we in a past clip, talked about if it were to be applied to sports, that would be the end of the sports, as we know. We want the most talented people on the field. I don't feel discriminated against in the least that majority of college football players um, are, are are black i don't i don 't feel i feel like they have not been given a, a leg up on me I feel like they 've worked harder they deserve the position and I want to see them playing because they 're the best athletes out there and at the same time i don 't see that there's any discrimination against the people on the hockey the, the, the hockey rink as being white because sports the best person gets the position and In life, if we do the same thing, then I think that we'll put behind us whatever grievance we have. And every one of us has a grievance. Every one of us has been born in a different situation and has different obstacles presented to us. But we'll look at what our opportunities are as opposed to what what has detained us from getting what we can achieve. And the other big issue is election denialism. So Anytime a point comes up that is difficult for a reporter or even a political candidate to debate on, on its merits, they, they bring out a couple aces up their sleeves. And one is racism, and the other is election denialism. If you don't accept that the election was the fairest election that's ever occurred, if you think that there were irregularities that occurred that might have swayed the outcome— Regardless of whether or not you've accepted the outcome, then you're going to be labeled an election denialist, and that is a very um, damaging label to have as a politician, and that can hurt you. And so that's what they're trying to do with Mike Johnson. Now, Mike Johnson's a very soft-spoken. He's he's the newly appointed Speaker of the House for um, obviously Congress with is, is a slim majority House Republican um, party, but uh, he he talks very calmly and very concisely in his common sense in his thoughts, but he's having this interview on CBS and he's being called an election denialist. I I've stolen this clip from, um, Doug in exile. This is, uh, one of the channels that I follow. Doug Turnable is, I think he's pretty good at, at bringing these clips together. So I'm going to play a clip from, from his, uh, podcast.
6: Back in, Uh,
7: 2021, you were the lawmaker who circulated the the legal brief known as the Texas Amicus Brief, um, challenging the 2020 election outcome in a number of states, which by CBS editorial standards makes you an election denier. That's nonsense. Which by CBS standards are journalistic standards. That makes you an election denier. Well, by CBS standards, they've been wrong about Everything and I could go down the list, but I'd probably get this channel canceled if I to- mentioned everything they were wrong about because we're not even allowed to talk about it. That's where her confidence comes from. A police state is backing this woman up, it's not because of her own credentials, it's not because they have the truth. It comes from the confidence of having a culture that will protect you even when you make a complete fool of yourself, like she just did. CBS Journalistic Standards. You're an election denier bullcrap. And he's just going, this is nonsense. So number one, he pushed back. He didn't cower. Republicans, this is what you must do. Well,
6: well that's, can I get you on the record on that?
7: I've always been consistent on the record. Did you read
6: the brief? Did you get a chance to read what we filed with the Supreme Court?
2: Well, I... <laughs> I have read extensively some criticisms of that. You you
6: read commentary about the brief, but not what we submitted to the court. But you
2: recognize
4: that President Biden...
7: Change the subject because you didn't read the brief. You didn't do the basic part of your homework, which is to read the Texas amicus brief that went to the Supreme Court. And if you ever read it, you'd see that his version of whatever they would call election denial doesn't even fit within their category. He's just saying that the election was wrong in that, that they didn't use the judi- judiciary to change the rules before the election. They went in and changed criteria for what ballots would be counted, which ones would be rejected which ones wouldn't be. And it was not done through a vote. It was just done through panels that went in and changed the standards as an emergency because of COVID. That's what happened. And they're saying that's illegal, but she didn't read it. She didn't even read it. She's just going, but uh, by our standards, you're still an election denier. So they're they're reading their own sources. They're in love with the smell of their own toots. Won the 2020 election. Can you just put that aside President Biden was
6: certified as the winner of the election. He took the oath of office. He's been the president for three years.
7: I, I love his little caveat there. He goes, well, he was certified. He was, she goes, you'll admit that he won the election. He goes, well- he was certified.
6: What I, the argument that we presented to the court, which is our only avenue to do so, was that the Constitution was clearly violated in the 2020 election. It's Article 2, Section 1, and anyone can Google it and read it for themselves the the system by Mm -hmm. which you choose electors to elect the president of the united states uh, must be done by the individual states and the system must be ratified by the state legislatures that is language
7: now remember he is has only so far quoted the constitution this is the same constitution the democrats are trying to undermine right to try and pin trump with insurrectionist civil war law they don't care about the constitution they're like going mike you're quoting the constitution to people that don't even believe in following it we don't even care we shredded it and used it as toilet paper before you even came to this interview plain so language you out still of the constitution
6: have issues with the validity of the 2020 election. The constitution was violated in the run up to the 2020 election. Not, not always in bad faith, but in, in the aftermath of COVID, many states changed their election laws in ways that violated that plain language. That's just a fact.
7: Yeah, states changed their election laws and they didn't uh, go through the judiciary. That is, they didn't do it through the proper rules that the constitution demands. That's not controversial. That's not an opinion. That is a fact of what happened. So this CBS hack who thought, thought this would be an easy slam dunk. I'm just, I was given my orders by the Biden administration to demonize him. And oops, I ended up looking like an idiot.
1: What I love about Mike is he's so calm and he's so collected. And what she wants to do is she just wants to play gotcha. She wants to say, you don't think the election was a hundred percent fair the most fair election that's ever been run we've heard that on um the news th- the mainstream media over and over again the most fair election how do you even rank elections like which election was less fair than this election <laughs> I I suppose they would say the 2016 election was less fair because there was a lot of Russian disinformation apparently propping up um, Donald Trump until the Steele dossier was uh, found out to be actually propagated by Hillary Clinton. But So first of all, she wants him to say that this, this election wasn't fair, and he's saying there is a constitution. You ought to read it. In that Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, it says that the states have the authority in determining how to conduct elections. And they have to carry out certain protocols in updating their the, the procedure for having the election occur. What we said in our amicus brief, he didn't even file the lawsuit. Texas wasn't the one that filed the lawsuit. He, he filed an amicus brief, which means this is additional supplemental argumentative um, information that is supported by our constitution and our laws and case law jurisprudence that says why the election did not follow the protocol mandated in the constitution now if you read the constitution you'd have a, a better basis for your question and a determination of whether or not i'm an election denier and if you read the actual brief then you wouldn't have to read just the criticisms of the brief and coming to your conclusion that I violated your policy as to be put into the camp of the election denial. That's that's the thing, is DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion, is only good when it goes for the minority. If it's somebody that is actually following the rule of law, that has actually achieved a, a, a level of prominence and, and power because of their, their merits, then it's going to be used against them. We don't want equity in this case. What we want is our narrative supported. And it's, it's so clear in that interview. I don't care about the Constitution. I don't care about was in the brief. I only care about I want to get you on record. Do you accept Joe Biden as a properly elected president? And um, that, I think, is, is where we've gone wrong. That's all the time that we have for today. We'll
0: talk to you next week. This is Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hansen at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.
3: Hey you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust And I believe in that's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.